happy March. Uh, it is getting brighter outside for longer. Thankful for that. Daylight savings is next Sunday, so don't be early or late. I can never remember which, which problem might exist for you uh, next Sunday morning. Um, plants are greening up, and the last day of this month is Easter. And uh, as God would have it, we are in Psalm 22 through Psalm 24 this month. Psalm 24 is about the resurrection. Psalm 23, y'all know Psalm 23, uh, it's also about the resurrection. And for the next three weeks, we are going to be in Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is called the Song of the Cross. Uh, At the beginning of this week, I was thinking, all right, we're going to do Psalm 22 in one week. And then we're going to go to Mark for a little bit for for the gospel stories. And then we get into Psalm 22. I'm like, we got to, we got to slow this thing down for a couple weeks. And, uh, I want to say to you this morning that that Psalm 22 is holy ground. Uh, It is holy ground. Um, It's a song of the cross, and this is where we see so much of the script of what Jesus is going to do for us as Jesus quotes Psalm 22, 1, as he is hanging on the cross, so it's holy ground, and I look forward to being in it together. Uh, So we're going to look at it for the next three weeks, and then we'll look at it again on Good Friday. The Good Friday service is uh, Good Friday at 6 p.m., all right? So that's then. And um, I want to encourage each of you um, this month to to do one thing. Um, I want to encourage you to be bold in your faith this month. I want you to each think of taking a step of faith, you personally, to invite someone that you know to have a conversation with you about the Lord Jesus. Um, Just ask them where they are spiritually. Where are you with the Lord? What do you know about the Lord? What do you doubt about the Lord? Let's talk about it. Have a, uh, take a bold conversational step with someone. Uh, Share your faith with them. Invite a friend, invite a family member, invite a stranger to church this month. And then let's just pray to the God who is powerful, who wants us to do this type of ministry. Let's pray that the Lord would grant open doors. Amen. Let's pray he would open doors for us and grant boldness and spread Jesus through us. All right, y'all with me on that? Can everyone just nod your head and be like, yes, let's do it, all right? Seriously, do y'all believe that the Lord would use you to lead someone else to himself? Do you believe that, right? I think in our flesh, we're like, no way, God would never use you. And then we're like, wait, I just said God would never use me. Of course he would use you for that. Of course he would. So let's be bold this month for the glory of God and the good of others, okay? So here's uh, Psalm 22. We're just gonna do one through 11 today. Title of the sermon is Feeling Forsaken, Feeling Forsaken, and in Psalm 22 is the most agonizing declaration, exclamation, cry in all of Scripture. David said it in Psalm 22:1 during his own human affliction, and then Jesus quotes it in uh, while he's on the cross, and that's recorded for us in Matthew and in Mark in those passion accounts. While he's nailed to the cross during his intentional affliction so that whoever would place their faith in him for forgiveness would not perish, but would have eternal life. So what is the phrase? What's the phrase that begins Psalm 22 and Jesus exclaims from the cross? It's the phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now this is, a, this is an interesting phrase, right? Because we think about that and we're like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Jesus said that, like Jesus who is one with God, he's the son of God, God is God the Father, they're one, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we think, wait, hold up, like, 
David said that, and King David was anointed by God to become the king, and multiple times in the scriptures, God calls David a man after his own heart, and even in the book of Acts, that's, that's, re, that's remembered that David was a man after God's own heart, yet they felt forsaken. And so, so, so what is going on with that? And we're going to look into that today, consider it together, and I recognize that some of you in this room may feel forsaken. You may feel forsaken by God. You may feel forsaken by others. You may be being scorned by other people for your faith right now and uh, the stands that you're taking for Jesus Christ. And um, we're gonna learn today to not stop at our feeling of feeling forsaken, but to uh, pray to the Lord and trust him. So here's the big idea today for Psalm 22, one through 11. It's this, when feeling forsaken, Trust in God and God's word, right? When feeling forsaken, trust in God and God's word. And so many people stop at feeling forsaken. They're like, boom, I've identified my feeling, end of story. And they stay there in that difficult desolation moment. And you're gonna see King David and Jesus not staying in that, but considering what the Lord is doing through them in their moments of desolation, right? This, uh, this passage is really important for us as we bear human afflictions and turmoil as we do God's work. So let's look at how David and Jesus walked through feeling forsaken and, uh, and, uh, and, and apply it to our lives today, okay? So here's verse, verses one through five, and the first point that I wanna share with you today, and it's this. Feeling forsaken, yet God is holy and trustworthy. All right, feeling forsaken, yet God is holy and trustworthy. Now, all of us have felt forsaken before. All of us have felt that. We understand that. Um, what we are going to see in this passage is the second part of that point, yet God is holy and trustworthy. So look at verses one and two with me. Uh, it says, to the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, maybe that was the tune to which Psalm 22 was put. It says, a Psalm of David. Verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me, from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Now, right off the bat, I want you to notice a couple of things about verse one. First of all, it is exceptionally personal, isn't it? It says, my God, my God, why have you? Uh, King David has a personal relationship with the Lord. He knows the Lord. And in fact, the reason that he's saying, why have you forsaken me, is because he knows the Lord. And he's thinking, what is going on? What is up with this feelings? I, I'm so uh, down in the dumps. I, I am in this moment of desolation and darkness. I, I feel this, Lord. This is difficult. You are my God, but I'm feeling this. He's taking it right to the Lord. So we, for sure, can pray like this. And in our series through the Psalms, we're learning expression to God. We're learning what we can say to God. And by all means, this is fair game. Psalm 22, when you feel forsaken, say, Lord, I feel forsaken because of the things that are going on. I feel like you're far from saving me. Uh, I'm, I'm not even able to utter articulate prayers to you. I'm just groaning right now. Things are so difficult. That is what David is feeling. And so he's expressing it to the Lord. No rest for him, no answers for him despite personal cries to the personal God. And think about this for a minute. God felt far away to David in this moment. But think about Psalm 8, where David says, why are you mindful of me? Meaning God is constantly thinking 
of King David. And then think about Psalm 21, verse 2, that, that, that uh, Tim preached last week. Uh, it says, you have not withheld uh, my requests from me. Right, But here in Psalm 22, just like that, he feels forsaken. He's in a, another moment. And so he's taking all of these feelings to the Lord. Sometimes it's praise. Sometimes it's confusion. Sometimes it's just honesty. Lord, help me through this. He's taking his feelings to the Lord. He's taking his feelings to the Lord through some very difficult things that he's facing. Y'all, when we feel forsaken by the Lord, we can think some things and we can attach some things to that feeling, such as, does God have multiple personality disorder? Um, right? Like yesterday I felt like things were really flowing. Today, not so much. What, what's going on? Or maybe a, a thought would be like, is, is God not who he says he is? Because you're, you're evaluating things based on how things are going. And so that can put God in question for you. Maybe, maybe you think things like, is God playing some sort of trick on me? Or another one, is God ruthlessly training me right now? Or maybe another one, is God against me? Or another one, have I done something wrong and this is like brutal payback? These are tortuous questions. And I, like you, have asked some of these. So here's the question that you must answer when you're feeling forsaken, when you're reading this. Here's, here's the question. Does Jesus, does David, does us feeling forsaken mean that there is a flaw in God's character? Does you feeling forsaken, does David feeling forsaken, does Jesus feeling forsaken mean that there is a flaw in God's character? Because that's what we feel. It's what it feels like. And that's what might even stand to reason if not otherwise knowledgeable of who God is. But David nor Jesus's nor our understanding of God should be based on what we feel and then our theology built on those feelings. Psalms is teaching us that over and over. The whole Bible teaches us that. We've talked about how the idol, the God of our culture is our feelings. Once we get to a feeling, they're like, that's it for me. But here we see in Psalm 22, and we're going to see it as we go all the way through the end of the psalm. We'll see it the next three weeks that David is working through this with the Lord. We'll see it even in our passage today as David interrupts this feeling to think deeply on the Lord. And, and let's just look at him do it right now in verse 3. And let me just tell you what he does in verse 3. He says verses one and two, that's how he's feeling. But you know what's cool about David? And you know what we're all capable of as well? David knows better. He knows better than verses one and two. He knows the Lord. He knows God's word. He knows better. So look at verse three. He says, yet, that is a powerful word. All right, he's interrupting what he's feeling. He's interrupting uh, the, the things that he's going through. He's saying, yet you are what? Say it, holy, right? Say that with me. Yet you are what? Holy. Y'all see what he did? He interrupted his honest feelings with something far more reliable. He interrupted his honest feelings with God's character. And to which character trait of God did David cling and it's what? That God is holy. He says, 
Yet you were holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Why did David choose God's holiness? He's feeling forsaken. He's in this desolate spot, this dark place. We're going to see why and in what manner in, in just a moment, but he's in this. So in that, he chooses God's character. Why did he choose God's holiness? Because if God is holy, then that means that God is not sinister. God is not out to get you. God is not uh, having a moment of multiple personality disorder. God is not ruthlessly training you. Now, training you, yes, but not ruthlessly. He trains us, he disciplines us because he loves us. God's holiness means that God is who he says he is even when we feel He's not. I want you all to think of this for just a minute. Feeling forsaken is circumstantial, all right? Feeling forsaken is circumstantial, but God's love for you is covenantal. Feeling forsaken is circumstantial, but God's love for you is Covenantal. So, so let's just illustrate each of those words, circumstantial and covenantal, all right? Feeling forsaken is circumstantial, right? Circumstantial could mean like, God, there's no fruit. Like I'm pouring my guts out for your glory, but there's no fruit. We think about missionaries who can be on the field for 30 years and never see a convert. And they're like, Lord, I'm, I'm doing the work. I'm, I'm living by the book and there's no fruit. And so you're feeling, Lord, have you forsaken me? Have, should I even be here? And you're building things on circumstances. Or maybe you're like, Lord, I just continue to be sick. It's like I get, I get one uh, diagnosis and we're working on that and then there, this pops up another one. It's like the doctors can't get to the bottom of it and I, know what, I don't know what's more grueling. I can't figure that out. Like We have people in our church right now who are just enduring and battling cancer in an ongoing manner. People who have chronic things that they face and it's so difficult and you can feel forsaken in that, even though you have the peace that surpasses all understanding, even though you have the hope that heaven is ahead, even though you have the body of Christ around you, you can feel forsaken. Another one is defeat. Defeat. That's what David's feeling right here. He is so overwhelmed by the wickedness in the world and by the people that are literally crushing him, the, the wicked voices, the wicked people, the way that they plunder, the way that they exploit, the way that they mock him. And we'll see more of that, that he is feeling defeated. So in that moment, he feels forsaken. Y'all, Jesus on the cross, do you know what that looked like? It looked like defeat. But we know Jesus was not defeated in that moment. In fact, he was defeating sin, right? And so when we look at David, we're like, man, the wicked are looking at him like, you're defeated, God has forsaken you. And David was feeling that, but David knew that he wasn't actually forsaken. Then let's, let's illustrate this word covenantal, right? So feeling forsaken is circumstantial, but God's love for you is covenantal. God's love, think about this. How many times in the scripture it says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. God's love is covenantal. When you come to Christ, you are with the Lord. He is with you. His name is Emmanuel. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. Neither death nor life nor angels nor demons or any of those things can take you away from the love of Christ. His love is covenantal. He gives us his everlasting love, not his circumstantial love, not his momentary love, not you had a good day, so I love you, but you had a bad day, so I don't. It's I love you with my covenantal love, and I prove that for you by sending you Jesus. That's God's covenantal love. But David's having to work through that a little bit, right? 
He's saying verses one and two, and then he's saying verse three, yet you are holy, you are holy, right? And then verses four and five, look at this. It says, in you, our fathers trusted. So he's building on it. He's thinking about the character of God. And then he's like, all right, what have the people that have gone before me that have been faithful done? How can I run their play? God, I want to think theologically. I want to think also about, about what people who I know love you and are godly. I want to know what they've done before, and I'm going to follow that. And so he goes, verse four and five, and you, our fathers, trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. So David's thinking about those that have gone before him. Y'all, when is trust especially necessary? Trust is especially necessary when the going gets tough, when the road isn't marked, when the wicked are winning. And those who had gone before David trusted God when they felt forsaken. And so David chose the same thing. David was determining to be discipled not by his feelings, but by the faith of the fathers and by the character of God, which is God's holiness. David recalled how they cried out in trust and how God rescued. So while David is still not yet rescued from the moment that he's in, he's trusting the Lord in these difficult, desolate moments, right? When you're feeling forsaken, we trust God and we trust his word. So I want to think real quickly about Jesus. Actually, not real quickly. We're going to spend some time on this. We're going to camp for just a minute. Jesus on the cross cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And people think about that and they're like, how could, how could Jesus be forsaken by God? And what, is, what does that mean? So I've been thinking about like how to, how to explain this, how to walk y'all through this, how to, how to help us think through this so that we capture the magnitude of what Jesus did for us. And, and I'd like to just start by saying we can think so much about this word forsaken that we forget that it's for your sake, that he did what he did, all right? So, so let me... Um, Let's do this in the form of a pop quiz, okay? A pop quiz theology test. Are y'all ready for this? Like everybody just rub your hands together. Seriously, just rub your hands together. Here we go. We're gonna test you. I want you to answer audibly. If any of you get it wrong, I will publicly humiliate you. Just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. All right, these are gonna be very simple questions. Um, be, uh, be bold in your answer. Um, so here we go. The first one, it, y'all can be loud and confident in this. I just wanna work you through this, Okay. Uh, We're going to answer, like in what sense, I'm going to ask you these questions so that we can think, and and I, I just keep explaining it, and I'll ask you the questions in a minute. I think so often, we as believers don't think hard enough. We come to something in the scriptures, and we're like, ah, that's confusing, and you're like, turn the page, right? Ask a friend, and that's good. Ask a friend's good. Turn the page probably isn't, right? But like, think So we know things about the Lord. That's exactly what David is doing. He's thinking. He's feeling something. But then what does he do next? He thinks about who the Lord is and then what people have done. And he's coming out. It's like, is he in a sand pit and he's crawling out? And like, yes, he is, but he's getting out of it and the Lord's pulling him out, okay? So I want us to think. And um, I'll I'll just illustrate that by asking questions. I I want you all to understand that you have the theological knowledge to think your way through this. What does Jesus mean on the cross, okay? So here's the questions. Ready? Pop quiz time. First, was Jesus God? Yes. All right, that was not confident enough, you know. Um, I want this to be a church that is strong in theology, right? Was Jesus God? Yes. Praise God. Yes, amen. Right, that right there distinguishes us. Y'all realize that? 
Um, was Jesus one with God? great. Let's do it even louder because it's just a beautiful sound. Hear your brothers and sisters saying theologically correct things. Was Jesus one with God? Yes. All right. So is it possible that Jesus could be abandoned by God? No. Oh, good. Good. All right. So we're thinking, right? We're thinking. Um, did Jesus know what was happening? Did, did Jesus know why he was on the cross? Yes. Yeah, he did. Um, was Jesus surprised by feeling forsaken while he was on the cross? No. See, I gave you that answer. Because <laughs> it's not in my notes. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm pulling away from the yes thing. Let me just be careful. I want to help them. All right, so, like, think about this. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was preparing, right? He knew it was going to be difficult. Why did Jesus come? It's because it's God's plan that he would come and bear, bear our sins on the cross. He would free us back to the Lord. He knew exactly what he was doing, but he's still facing the agony of what was happening to him on the cross. I want you to think about this for just a minute. Um, when Israel had sinned, uh, God would send them away into the wilderness in order that what? They'd, they'd realize where they are and then they would come back to the Lord. He's sending them away to bring them back. He's sending them away so that they can understand that being away from the Lord is not good and then he brings them back, okay? So, so what did God the Father do with Jesus? He sent Jesus away from heaven down into our wilderness. So Jesus is in the wilderness, especially compared to heaven. Amen. Y'all with me on that? Like Jesus set aside his eternal glory to come here and be in our wilderness. Why? To lead us back to the promised land. Jesus hadn't sinned. He was the perfect spotless lamb of God. He came into our wilderness because we had sinned and he, and he took our consequence to bring us back to God. So then in, in what sense was Jesus, what was he meaning when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think he means two things. Number one, it means agony. For sure means agony. That's the feeling. He is in agonizing, excruciating, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental pain. He is away from heaven. He is bearing our sin on the cross. It's agonizing. And here's the second thing that forsaken means. It means sent. It means sent. In the sense that Jesus had been sent so that for our sake, we could be redeemed to God. It means sent to get us back. It's exactly what King David was sent to do. It's to represent the Lord to a people. It's to represent the Lord to a nation. But was it really hard for David to the point where it looked like he'd been utterly defeated? Yes. Was it really hard for Jesus to the point where it looked like he was utterly defeated? Yes. Absolutely. Forsaken means agony. Forsaken means sent. After the first service, someone came up to me and said, so if Jesus knew, if Jesus knew the answer Actually, let me think. How did this person ask the question? Let me just, let me just skip that because I can't quite remember it, all right? I was, explain, I was trying to answer this question and it occurred to me that Jesus is answering his own question. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's answering his own question. Why? Is he doing it audibly? No, he's doing it physically. 
What was Jesus doing when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, he's hanging on the cross. That's why he came. He came into our wilderness to get us out of our wilderness. He came into our wilderness to get us to the promised land. He came into our wilderness. He left heaven to come here so that he could get us there. So, so why am I in this agony? Why am I sent into this wilderness of sin? And Jesus knows the answer. He's not asking a question because he doesn't know the answer because he's confused. He knows it's to bear their sin so that they can be forgiven. He knows it's to set them free, to set free the captives. He knows it's to lead them to the promised land. He's not asking the question because he's confused. He's asking the question almost as an announcement. He's asking the question to relate to us as well because we also face agony. For us, when we ask, why am I forsaken? We would want to be asking that for ministry purposes. Lord, I feel down. I feel low. I feel in a desolate spot. This is hard. I've gone into the wilderness for your glory and this is hard. I'm being beat down by this world, Lord, but why am I, why am I here? It's to be light in the darkness. It's to lead others to Jesus. And I just think we can do hard things, including feeling forsaken because things get so bad. We can do hard things because God is holy, because we trust him and because we love others. That's an application out of this text for us. Sometimes you will feel forsaken by God, but you are not abandoned. So what do you do in these moments? You don't, you don't dismiss your feeling. You lean right into it, and then you apply Christ. You think, Lord, I'm in a wilderness too. I can't believe I get to relate to you. Praise God. What did you do? You rehearsed your purpose. I'm going to rehearse my purpose. So when you're feeling forsaken, you trust the Lord, and you trust his word. Feeling forsaken, yet God is holy and trustworthy. But, but look at this. The struggle continues in verses 6 through 11. And we're going to get through this a little bit quicker. But verses 6 through 11 is this. Scorned by people, yet God taught you to trust him. Scorned by people, yet God taught you to trust him. So, so thinking about this foundation that we just laid, like what Jesus is doing on the cross and what, and what we see and what we've received from that and what David is going through, now we think about, man, I'm scorned by people sometimes. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm not scorned by people because maybe you're playing it too safe. You're not taking a stand for Jesus in this world. You're not really being a light. And this passage is saying, do it, and the Lord is with you. He's holy. You can trust him. So look at verses six through eight. It says, but I am a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And here's what they say. They say, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. They're mocking David's faith in God. They're really mocking God. They're thinking, we have ground you so much into the dirt that God cannot exist because if he did exist, he would get you out of this. He wouldn't have let us do this. And David's feeling the scorn of that. He's jealous for the glory of the Lord, but he's also feeling the reality of being ground into the dirt. Y'all, he'd been pounded so low by other people that he feels like a worm in the dust and no longer human. The treatment of David and Jesus by their accusers was absolutely inhumane. Consider the words right here. Worm, scorned, mocked. Verse eight is how they mocked him. And y'all, our faith in God is mocked regularly. 
whether it's mocked right at us personally or if it's mocked generously, right? Our belief in Jesus Christ is mocked in our world. The power of the cross is mocked in our world. It's, it's literally called foolishness by our world. The resurrection is mocked by our world. Our stand on God's word is mocked by our world. Our stand regarding social issues is mocked by this world. And the result of all of those things is scorn. Scorned by the people. And David and Jesus and we can be reduced to worm status and made to feel or made to be a public spectacle. David was in this moment a public spectacle. Jesus on the cross was a public spectacle. But when feeling forsaken, trust in God and God's word. In verse nine, David says again what he said in verse three. This is so amazing, y'all. We see a pattern in this psalm. The psalmist is teaching us God, inspired by the spirit of God, is equipping us to pray through feeling forsaken. Literally, there's a pattern. You're exclaiming what you feel. And then verse three, yet. And then you're exclaiming how you're being treated. Verse six, and then verse nine, yet. So look at verses nine and 10. It says, yet you are he who took me from my mother's womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. So what is David doing here? He's thinking back on God's faithfulness to him personally. He's thought back to God's faithfulness to those that have gone before him. He's thought on God's character. Now he's thinking back to uh, God's faithfulness to him another time in his life when he was helpless. And it's that time when he was a newborn, when he was an infant and how God's marvelous design of a mother with child sustained him. And it occurs to him that God has been raising him all along. And it occurs to us that God has been raising us all along. He's been nurturing us. He's been caring for us. He's been equipping us. He's been strengthening us all along. His character has never changed. His steadfast love for us has never changed. Maybe in this passage you've noticed that there's a word that's used multiple times. And as we study the scriptures, that's one of the skills we want to have, right? What is that word? It's the word trust. It's been used five times already just in verses 1 through 10. Five times. Several times used by those who are mocking the Lord. Why would you trust the Lord? Look at him trusting the Lord. And David's thinking, I do trust the Lord. Jesus is thinking, I do trust the Lord. So the pattern here in Psalm 22 is that we're feeling forsaken, but God is holy. We're feeling forsaken, but God is holy, and then I trust God. I trust God, and I trust God because I've seen what people have before me have done, and I trust God because, because I see that God has cared for me in the past personally, and so I trust God. I trust God when I'm feeling forsaken. I trust God when I'm scorned by the people, and then look at verse 10, and I just want to ask you this question. Is, I'm sorry, verse 11. I want to ask you this question. Is verse 11 a phrase that someone who feels utterly abandoned and forsaken by God, is that something that someone that feels that would say? It says, be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Right? That's not a verse of feeling utterly forsaken. That's a verse knowing that God is still with him. But now the cry is, be not far, be near, because trouble is near. 
what David is saying here is that no human can help, Lord. No human system, no means that I could, I could draw out or manufacture from myself can get me through this situation, Lord. Only you can help me. Only you can transform the situation. Only you can do this. No human can help, but you can. David is still in the midst of his desolation while he's praying this, but he is trusting God. He's trusting God's holiness. So the question for us is, do you know that you are not forsaken? Do you know that? Do you know that you are not forsaken? Do you know God? Do you know God? And are you trusting him? Have you placed your faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross? His work for you, not your own work that could never get you to the holy God, but Jesus' work who came out of heaven into your wilderness to draw you and lead you back to the promised land. Have you placed your faith in Jesus to do that for you? He was forsaken for your sake. Have you placed your faith in him? Do you realize the depth of what he's done? So I think, um, what was Jesus trusting on the cross? What was Jesus trusting on the cross? He was trusting the plan. He's trusting God. He is God. He's God the Son, right? He's trusting the plan. The plan from all eternity to redeem humankind through his work on the cross. He's trusting the plan. Was it hard? Yes. Was it agonizing? Yes. Was he sent? Yes. His plan was to sacrifice himself to bear the sins of the world and then to rise from the dead. Right? So we're going to keep unpacking this the next few weeks. I'm excited about it. I'm thankful. What a holy month this is. Um, every day holy for the Lord. But to be able to to be able to, to experience this as a church family is a sweet thing this month. And so I'm looking forward to more of it, more coming next week. And uh, as we close today, um, we're going to share communion. And for those of you that have been with us for a while, uh, basically starting in 2020, we started using the little cups, and uh, we're going to still use those some, but today we're going back to coming forward, taking um, the bread and the juice to uh, represent Jesus and his body and his blood given for us. And so um, I'll explain some of those uh, details and logistics here in just a moment, but I want to give you a moment before that to reflect. Uh, Our lives are so fast-paced. And we're at church today. And so this is a moment on the Lord's day to just get with the Lord and think, like think on Psalm 22. What has the Lord shown you? What is the spirit of God doing in you? Uh, What are you learning about Jesus? What are you learning about the cross? What are you learning about the wilderness that he entered on our behalf? What are you learning about what maybe you need to go into a dark place to minister light to this world and how the Lord could sustain you through that? Even if It seems like the wicked are winning there. Even after you've been there, the wicked are winning. But you trust the Lord. He's holy. He's with you, doing ministry like Jesus did. So just reflect. And certainly if you're here and you're not saved, I urge you to place your faith in Jesus for forgiveness of sin. In him, not yourself, not some means of this world. Only he can get you out of this world to his world. So place your faith in him for forgiveness of sin if you're here today and don't yet know him. So just reflect, I'll lead us through communion in just a moment.